Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm here with the star of our show here, Sal Marinello, and this is the Hot Corner with Coach Sal. Episode 139, little danger zone right there. Sal and I were talking before the show. I, neither one of us really watched the Oscars, but uh, Top Gun, Maverick, in case people were wondering, got shut out last night. So figured we'd give a little tribute song, Danger Zone, right there to, to Top Gun, all of us 80s babies out there. So want to remind our fans, 13,700 plus subscribers right now, over 70 countries, grassroots to, to front offices. Uh, continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. It means a lot to us. It allows us to continue to give you quality shows throughout the week. And we certainly appreciate the support. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter continue to engage us on there. And I will answer a question online every morning, bright and early. And I get back to everybody throughout the day. 250 plus questions today. I got a big dent in that already, Sal. So I'm uh, excited to have you back on the show. We got a number of interesting topics today to, to touch on with our fans. Yep, glad to be here. There's always uh, something new to to discuss and, and also to pick up the thread of things we've discussed in the past, which is good to see because uh, to me it means we're identifying some important issues and trends that carry over not just from one story isolated, but it's a, it's a string that people need to understand uh, a chain of events and how all of these things are connected. And ultimately, it comes down to, Dave, we have to be really much more involved in our care, what people tell us to do, what we do, and and how we carry out, whether it's our nutritional plan, whether it's our exercise. We're, we're the people at the center of it, so we have to take more interest in it. Yeah, and, and it has to be intentional. You know, people yeah. let it happen to them all the time, and really they have to wake up and be deliberate about uh, just staying healthy mentally, physically, all the way around. We, we didn't talk about this. I know uh, we, we hit baseball a lot and we hit different sports on your show, but we're obviously in the middle of March Madness right now. That was my life for such a long time um, on the sideline. But uh, have, are you going to be watching at all? And um, what are these guys' bodies going through right now this time of year? Full season, they're obviously depleted probably on a lot of different spectrums. What kind of advice would you give those athletes that are competing in the, the finals right now in the NCAA tournament? Well, I, I think, first of all, it's it's my favorite, for as much of, of a football fan as I am, this is my single favorite weekend in sports coming up. And next weekend is good, too, because there's still a, a volume of game in their games and they're all significant. They're, you know, college basketball has done what football is reluctant to do, and it's made the tournament, the, these games, more meaningful I think on the other side, they have made some regular season games less meaningful. But at the end of the day, no one's complaining because the games are great to watch. And you know what's interesting, Dave? I don't know. You're more tied into it than I am. I haven't heard of anybody stepping out of a game to pr improve their draft position in these games. So uh, I think it's a mindset that's different in basketball. Also because these games matter that these guys are going to play. They do, you know, you have the NCAA tournament, which has 68 teams now. Then you have the NIT, which has, uh, I think they have 64. And then there's this other college basketball invitational, which has, I think, 12 to 16 teams. So those, those NIT and the college invitational, those are not the national championship run, but guys are not sitting out of those either. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's just a very interesting comparison to make. No one's concerned with getting hurt, which is always an issue to, you know, you could get hurt working out 
especially if you're doing a lot of basketball, just as much as you could get hurt on the field, on the court, excuse me. And if you're worried about that, then I think that's a bad place to be mentally. Because yes. as I said, you could be injured in anything. And we've, we've heard those stories. And, you know, you see, you see a simple injury. Uh, not a simple injury. A simple move create a severe injury. We talked about it last week or we, we touched on it. The I believe he was the point guard at Tennessee on a basic drive, baseline drive, plants his left foot to pass or to change directions, I'm sorry, as he's passing and his a ACL tears. So these things can happen. So let's get back to the thought of, you know, there's guys playing and they're staying with their team and they're fulfilling their commitment to the team. That's old fashioned and antiquated thinking, but it's great to see. Um, and I think the recovery that these guys go through, actually, Dave, I think the, their conference tournaments are really where that occurs because, you know, you play two games this weekend. That's not so crazy. You know, you play two games in two days versus those tournaments. I remember the one year Syracuse, I believe played like a four overtime game and came back in less yeah. than 24 hours and played again and were great. And they did talk about their recovery modalities, getting in the pool, getting in the hot tub, having massage, having active rest, and they came back and they played great. So there's there's ways to get through those tough days of the conference tournament that uh, I think are the real, real tough days to get through, again, where you're playing consecutive days. Yeah, it's Conference tournaments are more mentally and physically grueling because, like you said, they're, it's back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, not just the physical part, but the preparation, the scouting reports that go along with it. Even though they are somewhat familiar with the teams they're playing, everybody saves some new stuff for the conference tournament. The NCAA tournaments, it's a lot more like their regular season where they have a day, a game. They get a chance to actually watch their opponent live, which you can't do in a regular season. There's a day off, and then there's another – you know, then they play again. So that's much more similar to their regular season game prep. And, and another sport that's remarkable in what their athletes do is, is wrestling, traditional wrestling. I'm a big traditional wrestling fan. I've worked with teams over recent years here in New Jersey and, and follow it because of my background. Not that I wrestled, but my high school was a top wrestling school when I was there. And then the college, I went to Lehigh University and we had several national champions while I was there in very successful teams. And as sports editor of the uh, paper at Lehigh, I spent a lot of time covering high-end meets and I got the opportunity to go see some great wrestling and get some behind the scenes ideas and get behind the scenes knowledge. And actually as a professional, a few years ago, I had the chance to work with the team um, tracking their body comp their body composition as they worked their way through the season and came up with strategies to help them be at their peak. That's a, that's another great sport where guys and now women are at the peak of competition and they recover and they, they perform in these tournament settings. And it's quite impressive. That's going on at the same time as March madness. It kind of gets pushed to the, the back, but uh, if you could seek out your NCAA wrestling championships, ESPN does a great job of streaming and or televising most of the final rounds. Yeah, I think it's a great sport, too. And, and um, it's sad that a lot of schools start trying to cut wrestling and, and baseball um, for all these other rules they have. So but with the tournament, have you looked at the brackets? Do you have a final four, a champion, a major upset that you picked? 
so I'm weird with this, Dave. I don't really care much for the bracket. I fill them out usually under coercion, peer pressure. I, I really just root for the underdog in just about every game. It makes it much more interesting. You know, everyone knows the 5-12 upset histories and are looking at the bracket for that. I, I did give the bracket a brief glimpse. I, I was busy with coaching. I had a weird day Sunday. I was busy coaching during the um, announcement of the brackets and was busy that night and didn't have a chance to look at them. And yesterday I had a busy day too. I, I just briefly looked at the bracket last night to see who the number ones were and not much else. I did see Oral Roberts and Duke, I believe, is a 5-12. But, yeah, I don't fill out brackets. I just enjoy game by game. I love switching from channel to channel to see the, the good games that are going on, and I have the March Madness app. So I just sit back and enjoy. I don't stress over who's going to win or lose as far as trying to pick a tournament winner. Yeah. For, well, for years, obviously, I was coaching, so I, I rooted for whoever was paying me uh, that year. <laughs> With the uh, with the tournaments, I get asked all the time, and I'll do it with in our house because uh, you know with, with the show knows my wife was a former college basketball player as well, and knows the game really well, and all of our children are into it. So I'm similar to you; they'll all pick brackets. They'll be on the refrigerator, and uh, they'll get me to pick one last minute. But I, I did uh, I did take a look at the upsets because uh, Tanner's working on that for homeschool. He's doing a a project on the percentages of upsets, like we talked about the five twelve. So I gave him, which he was not happy with. Uh, I gave him a, a a Vermont upset over Marquette, a fifteen to two. Wow! Um, I just uh, I don't know what what I saw in Marquette. They ran through the Big East regular season conference tournament, and they play an up tempo kind of pressing, trapping type of style. And Vermont's filled with sixth year seniors that won seventeen in a row, and um, they've got a little history in the NCAA of, of causing people some problems. So I threw that at him and. But I told him, I, I, I like the Big 12. I watched the Big 12 all year, kind of what we're going to get into today. It's a, it's a physical, muscular, um, high intensity in terms of pace and tempo, but they play the smash mouth style. There's not a cut that goes without being bumped or driven. They distort route and timing. And I've got a Kansas, Texas, Kansas State Final Four with Alabama in there too. But Alabama to me, best team in the country. Right now, the way they're it's playing. Interesting. I, I find the ebb and flow of the the conferences becoming who's the you know the best conference. It's interesting to me how that has played out over the years and how it hasn't necessarily stayed with one conference uh, for any period of time. I, I enjoy seeing the like I said the the ebb and flow of who's the top conference, who has all the teams. What, yeah. what kind of bores me about the conference and I the, the the tournament, and I think they've gotten away from it is these mid-level major conference teams that get in just because they get in and uh, they always lose in the first or second round anyway. I much prefer seeing the higher achieving lesser known team get a chance, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you could come up with the, the schools that you see every year and pretty much they get their one or two games and disappear versus giving the unknown team that's really had a great season a shot. I'll tell you what, Dave, I think one of the greatest miscarriages and no one's really going to care because it's a minor school, is Merrimack moved to D1. Yeah, and they, they not only won their regular season, they won their conference, and they can't go to the tournament because there's some ridiculous rule that a team has to have a couple of transition seasons before they can get into the NCAA tournament. I think that's one of the biggest travesties I've ever heard of. 
And as a matter of fact, the team that goes instead of them is a team that's close to me is FDU Teaneck. At I think they were either 19 or 17 or 17 and 15. They're yeah, in a play, they're in a play-in game. I think that's just so unfair. No offense to FDU. So unfair to Merrimack because they won the regular season and then they won the tournament. So why do they need a transition year or two? Ridiculous. Bureaucracy. It's about money. They haven't paid enough money yet. And uh, it, it's silly to say, you know, they got penalized for overachieving, right? They're, they're a year ahead of time or two years. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I saw that. I thought it was silly. And I'm glad they won the championship game. I'm glad that they – they. Uh, they just made a made a statement and a point. I hope they yep. win it again next year. And it's not their their one one and only time to get an opportunity. But uh, yeah, so the, and uh, you know, I, I always loved the Big East. I grew up watching the Big East. That was the time when it was at its height and could be coming back. You know, you got Rick Pitino. Looks like he's going to take the St. John's job. Uh, Xavier's now a Big East team. I like Creighton to make a strong move. And a lot of people have UConn going to the Final Four this year with Danny Hurley. So I hope the, the Big East makes a run. That's my sentimental. Watch. I always like watching that style. It brings me back to the Chris Mullen, Pearl Washington, Patrick Ewing days. I love the fact that the Big East has reconstructed themselves or itself to this super competitive, hard-nosed, good, tough basketball conference. I love watching Xavier. I I think they have a a great brand. They play uh, always tough. That's a team. If I was a, a big Top tier team, I wouldn't want to play them. Not that they're not a top tier. I think you know what I'm saying. Um, you know, Creighton is a tough two. That coach has been there forever. Love him. McDermott, I believe. Yep. His son's in the NBA. Yep. To me, that was I used to love watching Villanova with, with Jay Wright there, but um Creighton's my new Villanova. They yeah. play So well, good deal. So well, let's get into the enough basketball talk here, right? Let's get into the uh the article. I think we can start off with the article that you sent and we, we had a chance to look over. It was, it was a great tribute to, to protein what we talked about a little bit. It said the article was entitled not overweight under muscled. Uh, share with our audience a little bit about that, maybe where they can find it and what you took. Well, from. Yeah, it was this article, you know, when you go through your Google feed, because I'm always searching for health, fitness, nutritional stuff as, uh, as well as some other article uh, uh, subjects, you get articles in these certain buckets of info. And it was actually in on a site called worth worth.com. And the, the title of the article is muscle is the cornerstone of longevity. So it's great because this is written from the perspective of a functional medic medicine practitioner and a board certified family medicine physician, doctor, it's a Dr. Gabriel Lyon. And you know, she just sums it up great. And and I love when you come across a line that someone comes up with that is succinct and really, really grabs you. And she uses this phrase, we aren't over fat, we're under muscled, which is perfect because it, again, is one of these things I mentioned in the intro that is a, a continuing this thread of information. There's a theme here. We've talked about it on the show. We've been told to eat a certain way that has resulted in us being less healthy. And we could go into details of that as much as you want. I'll let you pick. But this supports my assertion and others, but what we've been talking about here, that the reason we're having a lot of these problems is because people are not eating enough protein. And this is the first article I've seen that doesn't rely on the old antiquated 
formula of 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. It's it's uh, a, a, it's a much higher level. It's a pound. I'm sorry. It's a gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. So they're still qualifying it a little bit, but that's still better than a lot of the articles you're going to read. Yeah. No, I, I think it, when we talked about it, you were very refreshed that even though it wasn't all the way, at least it was part of the way to uh, to where we would like to see it. Um, and how far off are they? I mean, what, what would what would complete the, the cycle for them to make, make it a, a perfect message for you? Well, I don't think there is a perfect message because I think everybody has biases and the bias can be bad. Uh, I mean, a bias can be positive. It doesn't have to be bad. But I think and there's people that stray out of their lane. You know, the thing that I disagree with in this article is at the end, they talk about how you should exercise what your exercise plan should be. And again, you're, you're forward thinking with the diet and the concept that we need more muscle and you're relying on antiquated, out-of-date uh, theories, philosophies, workout programs about how to address the problem. So, you know, we're getting there. If we can get this message out, first of all, that you have to eat more protein, that that's going to be great because that will really take more than half of the half of the work. Because I think people are so protein-starved, Dave, just by adding protein to the diet, they're going to they're going to add muscle to their frame, you know, with a a light level of activity. So one step at a time. But what's great is that we are getting to the point where, again, where it's it's being noticed by, quote, experts in the field. And for as as much as the data shows or for as much as some of this research shows that this age-related muscle loss, the Finns, the Finnish people, Finns, I would say 50 plus years ago, did a lot of research on the ability to have 70, 80 year old people who had been sedentary, sedentary, add muscle back. And the elderly can add muscle back at a faster rate than middle aged and younger people can. So I think what it shows is the muscle loss is really from from habits and less from a biological imperative. It's more from a habitual imperative we've been told to do certain things that have not benefited us is it mental too or people just like you know i'm supposed to lose muscle and they just more or less learn helplessness it's totally because you you look at how some people exercise i used to have this argument with professionals in my field they would take a 60 year old who had not worked out and put them in a leg extension leg curl leg press overhead press pull down machine or base workout when that person needs to be on their feet regaining function of their nervous system, which drives everything. You need to, you can relay, relearn and regain a lot of balance, a lot of nervous system function. Those are the, one and the same, but you have to do that by being on your feet. If your workout is based on equipment, you're sitting in your leg extension machine on your phone between sets, or even if you're doing a circuit where you're moving from machine to machine, you're really not working out. That's not how the body produces movement. And you're really not giving yourself much of a metabolic challenge if you're sitting down and using one muscle group at a time. Interesting. Now, it's, uh, I, that, and I, I've always believed that I could continue to um, maintain and grow a certain level of fitness regardless of my age. And uh, we're, Tanner and I and, and my older son, David, call him Blue, they've challenged me to, I, I've run a couple ultra marathons, 100.3 miles. And 
they've challenged me because I'm going to hit 50 this year in April. That nobody under the nobody over the age of 50 has completed the four Grand Slams ultra marathons. So they've they've convinced me to go after it. So nice. So I uh, I'm, I'm of the same mindset that that you just mentioned that it doesn't matter the age. In fact, uh, you you can keep as long as you're smart. You know, and that's at any age with how you're training. So I'm contemplating. I'm deliberate with everything I do. So I'm doing my research on it to make sure that uh, that uh, this is not more detrimental than it is helpful to my. You have to be careful. You can't let your competitive juices get the better of you. Some of my, uh, I have one of my mentors. I believe it was either Coach Radcliffe or, or Vern Gambetta said that one workout won't get you in shape. But one workout could ruin you for a long period of time if you do the wrong thing. And I, I, plenty of stories I have from athletes who have gone out and done things that have messed them up. So in a one in a one shot. So especially with this ultra marathoning, long distance running, you have to be careful. In my opinion, that's that's something you you don't want to you don't want to look you don't want to leap before you look. Yeah, ironically, I do I do not the same type of running training that people normally would do to, to do it. Um, and it's been helpful. And I won't go into detail on that, but I, I do want to ask you this has kind of popped in my head. My mentality as a, as a young athlete, as a college and a professional athlete was always, you know, and this is, is probably silly to do, but I wanted at the end of the day, I wanted nothing left in the tank because my mentality was anything left is lost forever. Um, as I look back on that, that may have been detrimental. You know, you mentioned that advice you got to my development as an athlete, or at least my longevity, I should say. And um, now I've got a little bit smarter approach to it where I don't mind leaving a little left in the tank. Um, I've gone through workouts where it's been okay. I don't have to go all out all the time um, every day. It's not, it's not smart. Um, I was much better as a coach doing that with my players and I was governing myself. What, what, what are your thoughts on, on that mentality? Not yeah, there's no doubt that that took, took something away from your performance career, if you want to put it that way. I think the mentality that we've seen and we've talked about the phrase I hate is embrace the grind that has infested or infected training is bad. I think you do not need to do that. As a matter of fact, I think you need to stay away from that. There's ample evidence that you can't go full speed all the time and always finish. And the Phrase the other phrase I hate is give 110%. I can't stand that because if you're giving 110% in quotes, I'm putting that, that means you're finally giving 100%. And all the time you thought you were giving 100%, you weren't because there is no 110% of, a, of your effort. Your effort is definable and knowable. And I could put you on the bike and we could have you work as hard as you can and come up with a number and through workout. And we can increase that number. But if all of a sudden one day you come in and you're at 110%, that means you were not at 100% when you said you were before. So that's how I always look at that. I think that's a macho BS posturing, anti-productive mindset to have. And it goes to why you see these max lifts in the deadlift and the bench and the, the squat and why that becomes how programs and teams measure success in a lot of ways and and why we have so many injured athletes. So you're always better off to 
leave something in the tank. Uh, one of the, again, Coach Radcliffe used to say, I want them to come in for practice the next day like they left me the day before. So you can't grind them down to a nub and have them crawl out of practice and have them come in the next day every day looking forward to it. So that's my position there. Yeah, I was always good with my players with that. I was terrible with myself. And actually, I was bad as I think as a coach doing that because I was the same way as a coach, 24 hours a day, nonstop. And I, I believe I probably wore myself out before it was time uh, to do so because of that. So let that be a message to our audience. It's more like a therapy session for me, Sal, right? And uh, yeah. in the show. <laughs> so, well, and, and, you know, I just I really wanted to go back and just touch on one thing from that yeah. article because what you know, we there's nothing bad that can come from people having more natural muscle. And by natural muscle, I mean, well, we could get that, that's splitting hairs. Uh, I don't want to go down that route road right now, but let's just say more muscle is better uh, within reason. And they know, we know that a decline in muscle mass, strength and function will make you more susceptible uh, to disease. And the more muscle you have, the better your chances of surviving disease. And it's you still look at all of this data, which shows a decline in muscle mass strength and function over time, without looking at or without superimposing the advice that people have been given for now three generations of lower, lower protein, lower fat, and certain kinds of exercise. And, you know, you see everybody say you have to lift weights, you have to lift weights, which is good because it's important. But the nutritional component is the hurdle we have to get over at this point. So uh, I would recommend everyone to go to worth.com and search out the, the article, Muscle is the Cornerstone of Longevity. Got it, worth.com. And then uh, would you consider doing a little follow-up on that on, on your Substack kind of yeah. piece? things together that you think may have been excluded or not expounded upon. That'd be great for our, I yeah. bet you eat that up. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I started taking notes on an outline for an article about that. So oh, that'll be good. I look forward to, to reading it. So with, uh, we, you know, we talked March madness, uh, you know, just talked about the fat versus muscle, uh, get to spring training. Now Yanks are back. Same place. says like same bat time, same bat channel. Rodon goes down with a pitching injury. Um, Bader goes down with an abdominal strain. We, we, we've beaten them to death. What, what's the deal with them? There, there's just we're, – we're in that mode, Dave. It's, it could be any team. You know, we talked about oblique injuries. I believe it was a Chicago Cub player who had spent his, most of his career in Japan, comes here, has an oblique injury. I think it's just they're over-competing. They're never out of shape, quote if you want to put it, they're in the wrong shape. <laughs> they're never out of shape, but it's the wrong shape they're in. They never take rest. Like we said in your day, my day, you heard players say they used spring training to get into shape. I read that, you know, 25 years ago. And and this, here we go, Dave, this is where, and I'm not saying that all players are using performance enhancing drugs, but I'm saying the players that use performance enhancing drugs were the drivers of this mentality that you could go all year round because they could go all year round because the drugs allow you to go all year round. They take care of the recovery aspect of your body. You, you're, you're superhuman in that regard. You could go out 
and have the heart. We what we talked about just five minutes ago. Go out and have nothing in the tank, but you're you're su- supplementing testosterone, IGF one, growth hormone, peptide therapy. You come back the next day like you never worked out the day before, and you're able to do that again. So you're either able to build bigger muscle, which is what the traditional steroids do, or you're able to add, actually add new muscle fibers, which is what this new generation, and by new generation, it's 20, 25 years in in, in circulation of drugs does. So this concept of always working out is coming from a place of these steroid users that were able to do that. And then those athletes not on the steroids have tried to maintain this same kind of routine and it's to their detriment. And it goes back to the concept of leaving your performance in the weight room or on the training field or training area because you've not taken enough time off to recover and you're a natural quote athlete. And I don't know if it's, if it's uh, because I'm locked in on them all the time, but does it not seem like the Yankees tend to have more high-priced players getting injured than everybody else? It does seem that. Uh, I don't know empirically if that's the case, but what I will say is they keep hiring people to fix it, and it, it keeps getting worse. So I think, and again, I think it's unfair to blame that person in that position for any team because I think these athletes are broken or they're on borrowed time when they get to the majors because of all the bad training and wear and tear they've had on their bodies already. These arm injuries, these guys, their arms blowing out, breaking down. It just is a, it's a, it's a spectrum that is going to play out where their arm blows out because they've had so many more miles on it at this point in their career than players did 40, 50 years ago. And I, and I, I, I kind of thought the same thing. The Yankees tend to sign guys based on past performance. They let somebody else have them when they're at their peak and then they pay them peak dollars to be on their decline years. So yeah, it just seems that way between Aaron Hicks and judges had those injuries and during his career and he's finally healthy again, Stanton. Um, you know, now you got Bader who Bader looks like he just, I mean, he looks like a bodybuilder. When yeah. he's out. That's, you know, we talked about it. Go back and look at what power hitters looked like. And they didn't have those big bodybuilder muscles. So it, it's a problem. It's not going away. It's just going to be we'll report on it. It's just like the weather. You know, it's going to happen. And we have no control over it because the people in charge, not that you can control the weather, but the people in charge of fixing this have no interest in really fixing it. And they think the fix is always in the workout. And now we're at the point where the fix is just take them out of the weight room and re-educate their bodies. And that's hard to do. And someone who you're paying $600,000 a year is not going to admit that what they've been doing this whole time is wrong. So that's another problem. Yeah, you know, you're right. The, the accountability. And I think they make it confusing on purpose in some capacity. They never know who to blame. And not that we're looking to do that here, but there's got to be some accountability for these. You know, they have like we, we share all the time. They're high, they're high price. They have more uh, things around them right now to peak, to get their performance at peak levels from people to nutrition to knowledge. And uh, 
we just see him injured more now than ever before. So Charles Charles Barkley had a great quote, basically to follow up. We talked about, I believe we talked about what Stan Van Gundy had said about not needing, I can't not believing these guys need rest and time off from games. You know, Barkley said basically the same thing. These guys have the best sports medicine. They fly, they fly. Not only do they fly first class, they fly charter. They stay in the best places. They have the best food. They have the best training. They have the best recovery. And you're telling me they can't play 82 games. It's it's they're breaking down because of the other things they are doing. It's the off field, whether it's because they're not getting enough rest from their other endeavors or because they've grown up where they never weren't playing basketball throughout the 12 months of the of the year. And they're always, always grinding because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to grind. That's supposed to be positive. They're breaking down. Yeah, so. that pounding, that that's that specialization. And I guess, you know, it's hard to reconfigure the minds and bodies of the, the pros, maybe even the college kids, but hopefully the young kids listening can start on the right path. So a decade from now, we're not telling them the same thing with all this stuff. Um, I don't know how deep you want to get into to this, but I saw two things. One, I had a Instagram uh, speech sent to me, Donald Trump on talking about he was building a, he was going to be building a women's basketball team. Did you hear that one? Did not. He, uh, well, well, let me, I'll ask you this first before I get into, into that. Uh, saw another article again, as I I'm on Facebook now, I have to control what input I let in my head, but on that note of, you know, performance enhancing substances, there was an article out there that uh, was from a MMA fighter. That yeah, I saw that. Him and LeBron James had the same. I, I don't think he used the word doctor. I think he used the word dealer, but he meant yes. doctor. Thing, but, supplier. He might have used supplier. Yeah, something along those lines. I didn't read into it too much. Did you read it at all, or what's your take yeah, on that? I, I my my opinion is three quarters plus of high level professional athletes are using something. There was a reason. These athletes all have non, there's more than one reason, but one of the reasons they have non-team personnel advisors, whether they're doctors, whatever, are because of they get their substances from them. We, Tiger Woods, we know, had the association with that Dr. Galea, who was from Canada, who was a, a human growth hormone advocate. We had not only the Balco scam, but the other place out of South Florida. Those substances are out there. People have been, athletes have been looking for edges for a hundred plus years. There's stories of cyclists. The first real advanced cheaters were blood dopers. They would take their own blood, freeze it, and then re-inject it reintroduce it to their body. So they increased their blood volume, which gave them more oxygen in their blood, which allowed them to, to perform at a higher level, which is why they now use EPO because EPO increases your red blood cell count. There's been stuff, Dave, for 25 years, they've been working on all kinds of patches and forward thinking ways to introduce these substances to the body. So People are using it. People are using it. Ben Johnson was using human growth hormone in 1992. So 
that's 30 years ago. So there's other stuff they've moved on to. And in addition to still using those, you know, growth hormone is still a great, powerful, potent, performance-enhancing drug. And they have all kinds of things now that can increase your body's production of growth hormone. So you're not introducing a foreign sub, uh, a foreign substance that is, uh, I'm sorry, synthetic substance into your system. That's what a lot of this peptide therapy revolves around, st stimulating your pituitary to produce more growth hormone. So your increased growth hormone comes from your own pituitary's production of it. So there's, they're, they're all going to use stuff. And a guy like, uh, I forget how to pronounce his last name. He's been pinched for failing tests and people want to say, oh, well, he's a drug user. He's already, well, who do you think knows how the drug trade works in pro athletes, guys who have done it? Of course he's dirty because he knows how it works. It's just like, who do you use to bring down the mob? Another mobster. You can't have a mob snitch who's a choir boy. You have to have a mob snitch who's a mobster. Same thing with the growth hormone, with the drug use in pro sports. Yeah. I never, you know, it's odd. Having been a former professional baseball player, when all the scandal was going on in baseball, I didn't give it much thought. I didn't look into it that much. I really got into trying to understand it when Lance Armstrong uh, situation came about. Um, I, I followed him as a cyclist. And what was interesting is I don't know cycling at all. But I do know what they were trying to do is inhumane or inhuman, I should say, not inhumane, probably inhumane, too. But um, it was pretty obvious to me that in order to do that, you had to be doing something. So when he was doing it, I really didn't care. It was like our doped up guys beating your doped up guy. You know, if, if they were all doing the same stuff, I guess he was just using better stuff. I don't know. Well, they were at the cutting edge. They had a team. They were all involved. It wasn't just a guy that was a lone wolf. And they all knew what was going on. That's a, that was a sport based on drugs. They knew what the power, I, I, if you read Tyler Hamilton's book, he talks about the power output that Armstrong was producing on the uphill climbs was so far above anything that ever was produced, there was no other explanation. It was astronomical compared to the typical elite cyclist. So right there is a is an indicator. No one said anything because everyone was doing it. The other examples I can use, I think, look at some of the track and field records that have stood for a while. There was a record that was just broken by a woman 400 meter runner, I believe. It was one of the oldest records on the books. And the woman who held it before was an Eastern Block competitor. And we know the Eastern Block, Eastern Block was lousy with PEDs. So you're getting to the point where in these time and distance sports too, you can kind of see where the PEDs are coming into play and, and where they're where, if they did take a break from it versus uh, not, and if they're never have taken a break from it, you can tell by the records and how they've been set and how they've been broken. Yeah. And then now another sport, uh, kind of a, I guess, a decent segue into this. We we traded the article back and forth this past week. There's now, a, a, of all the sports in the world, to start this with, transgender uh, Olympic lifting now is a possibility. So men transitioning themselves to women, 
are now allowed to partake in Olympic lifts as a female. To me, well, I'll, I'll kind of throw it at you right now. Forget the, uh, forget the uh, alternative substances people are adding. How unfair is that? Well, here's my, my opinion is that I don't know any coaches that are for allowing transitioning men to compete with women. The coaches I know, they're all male coaches. I think what needs to happen is, and, and some women have done it, and some women have been shouted down for defending their, their sport. Uh, for the, Her name escapes me. She's a Kentucky swimmer. She was the one who was forced to share the podium with the Leah Thomas right. from Penn. She's, she's been outspoken. Martina Navratilova has been outspoken, but I think women and mass have to come out a little stronger and unfortunately, and stand their ground because men are going to be shouted down and marginalized as being transphobic, despite the fact that it's obvious that a transitioning male has no business being competing with a, with the female. And why you know it's ludicrous is that there are no transitioning females to males who are competing with males because you just can't. And there are these strongman competitions that are becoming a joke. And if that's what they want it to become, it'll become a joke and people really won't pay attention to it, I think. And it'll be to the detriment of the female athlete. The female athlete, as unfortunate as it sounds, needs to have more of a, a lead role in this from what I've seen. And I would back that 100%. But they, the female athlete has to take a little more responsibility in fighting for their sport, in my opinion. Oh, without question. It's, I have two daughters and, you know, in sports that we, when we want to develop them, like for instance, this, this uh, spring and summer in basketball, they'll be playing on their age groups, boys team and faster, more physical. Um, it's just a, it's, it's a way for them to get better uh, at their age. So we're certainly not going to put our 13-year-old son on the 13-year-old girls um, because that doesn't do – we put him up a level in boys. So he's playing – our seventh graders playing with the high school boys team. Yeah. So it's, it's – uh, to me, I just – I shook my head of all the sports in the world. And I, I brought up Donald Trump earlier. He had said where he's going to be doing a uh, – you know, he's tongue-in-cheek, going to be starting women's basketball team. His first player is going to be LeBron. He's going to talk to LeBron about positioning <laughs> and just declaring himself a, a female. So it was uh, – Obviously, he, he can get away with saying stuff because he's got a certain way about him, but it certainly made a point. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's there's, you know, there's been rumors that certain female players wouldn't pass muster if they had that kind of uh, test, if they did test in the WNBA. So, um, I'm, again, that's not my field of expertise, but um, I, it's, it's worth talking about but again that's got to be something that is handled by the women that are in the sport yeah i agree i agree well um we've kept you for about 45 minutes here we appreciate all the time you give our audience what is uh remind our audience where they can find you and if you want to leave with any parting shots now's a good time well my one theme is going to be take more responsibility for your fitness and health 
You do it. You should do it when you're talking about investing your money in certain things. You're not just going to give money to someone without looking into who they are and how they invest it. So you have to do that with your your health and fitness. It's your body. You can find me on Twitter at, at Sal Marinello. I'm more active on Instagram. As I've said, Dave, I'm using Instagram as my kind of website. It's at uh, it's Sal. I'm sorry, sorry. It's Coach Sal's Playmakers. You'll see everything I do and get a little uh, editorial from me as once in a while as well. And Coach Sal M. Substack. Those are the best places. Great. Yeah. And another great show. A lot, a lot of information today. And I uh, had no intention of getting into the NCAA tournament, but we, of course, it's a natural time of year. Audience, 13,700 subscribers, loyal, faithful. Keep doing what you're doing. Download, listen, like, subscribe. Support all our guys on social media so they continue to provide you with great content throughout the week. We will get back to you. We'll respond. Like I said, a couple hundred questions this morning. I got the one online. I get back to everybody by by dinner time, East, East Coast dinner time. You all get an answer back. Uh, make sure that you are on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher. Those are ways you can stream us. And Sal, great show again. We look forward to catching up with you next week and have a great week with your clients. Thanks, Dave. Look forward to it. Okay, we'll send you out a little goose here. <laughs>